Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And I love building those same game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio. So use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states, FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Dial one 888 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Dial 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Dial 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Dial 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit www.com M-A-H-E-L-P-L-I-N-E dot org slash problem gambling. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Dial 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Saturday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great weekend so far. We're just going to briefly touch on four games from last night. The Lakers, 
notching a huge road win over the Minnesota Timberwolves, locking down the seven seed for the time being. The Philadelphia 76ers beat the Toronto Raptors, yeah, although the Raptors did make it close there at the end. They pulled away, but I really want to dive in on uh, just all of the championship boxes, like those expectations that we have for champions, and whether or not Philly meets those expectations. I want to dive into them a little bit. Then we got a preview of our 4-5 first round matchup in the Eastern Conference between the Cavs and the Heat. Jalen Brunson notches a career-high 48 points in a road win in Cleveland. And last but not least, I want to talk a little bit about Russell Westbrook and his time with the Clippers, especially after his 36-point night a couple games ago against the Memphis Grizzlies. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts on your hoops tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. So this was a really interesting game between the Wolves and the Lakers. I actually didn't watch the game live because I was at a rehearsal dinner for a wedding that I'm going to this weekend. Um, but I kind of saw some of the people talking and, you know, Lakers fans were very optimistic about how things went, felt like they dominated the game. But Timberwolves fans were convinced that, like, there was this weird sequence that took place with Anthony Davis spraining his ankle and a small little uh, run that the Lakers went on during that stretch and how it might have changed the game. And then Rudy Gobert effectively credited that for what turned the game around. And so I was really curious to watch it because it was a classic case of, like, the two fan bases had very different impressions on, on what uh, what went down. And so I wanted to see the basketball because, you know, I do believe that momentum swings can happen in games. We've talked a lot about this. I talk about how, you know, we talked about it during the Mark Cuban thing with uh, that weird play in the Warriors-Mavericks game where there was that inbounds pass or or a missed call here or a missed call there, P players complaining about officiating. I talk about all the time, there's like five or six things that happen in every single basketball game that are entirely out of your control. And what do I always say? Sometimes they can all go against you, but you've got to find a way to win. Like that That's just a reality. And so, like, th that you have to be prepared as a basketball team going into a game or going into a series. Like, there's just going to be a bunch of shit that's completely out of your control that doesn't go your way. And you have to find a way to overcome that. That's just part of being a competitor. That's part of being a winner. And so I hate that excuse process from the start. But I wanted to see what happened in the basketball. So I was watching the game, and, you know, it's very back and forth for most of the first half. The Lakers take a little lead. The Wolves take a little lead, right? But just in the final few minutes of the first half, the Wolves go on, on, a, uh, go on a, a big run going into the halftime period. Kyle Anderson hits a corner three. Rudy Gobert does this vicious spin move on Anthony Davis in isolation for a layup. Anthony Edwards finally gets uh, gets going. A really smart play design from Chris uh, from Chris Finch to get him a backdoor cut. They have uh, Carl Towns in the left corner, and they have Rudy Gobert go set a pin down for him, and it looks like Carl Towns is going to come off that screen. They, he didn't actually end up using it, but Rudy was setting the screen like he was going to go out. So Anthony Davis, because he has to be there to, sh uh, to show out on that screen to stop uh, Carl Towns from getting that easy catch and shoot, he steps out of the lane. Anthony Edwards just runs a backdoor cut and gets a dunk. That kind of uh, broke the ice, and that, I believe that was his first basket of the game at that point. Then he gets another driving reverse layup before the half. Bam, you go into halftime, you're up 10. Complexion of the game has completely changed. They kind of go back and forth to start the third quarter for a few minutes. But on film, and this is what's so funny about Rudy Gobert with that post-game comment, I was really interested to see if it was the Laker defense that turned the tide of the game or if it was just some random sequence that turned the tide of the game. And it was the Lakers' defense. They got stops on five of the previous six possessions before Anthony Davis tweaked his ankle. That ended up being the defensive wave that carried them through the rest of the game. 
The Lakers had a defensive rating in the second half of this game of 85.2, which is off the charts good. So the real story of the second half of this game is the Lakers just completely locked down Minnesota. And it came down to a couple of specific schematic things, but I, if I had to attribute it to one, I would say Rui Hachimura and his ability to guard Carl Anthony Towns. Because one of the predicaments that the Lakers were put in is that when Carl Towns and Rudy Gobert were both on the court, they'd put uh, Anthony Davis on Rudy Gobert so that he could linger around the paint, right? But that ended up putting Jared Vanderbilt on Carl Towns. And the problem there is Jared Vanderbilt is a very good perimeter defender, but Carl Towns is by far the biggest player they've given him as an assignment to guard at this point in the season. And he's just too big and too strong and shoots the ball too well. Had 20, I think, in the first half. They were having all sorts of problems guarding Carl Towns. But as soon as they figured out that they could they could put Rui Hachimura on Carl Towns and hold their own defensively there, that allowed Anthony Davis to remain around the basket for the rest of the game. Because early in that second half, they sub Carl Towns out, they have Kyle Anderson in the game. That's when the run starts. The run begins with Anthony Davis protecting the rim, guarding on the perimeter really well uh, with guys like uh, uh, Jared Vanderbilt and, and Dennis Schroeder and just getting into the basketball. Then when Carl Towns came back in the game and uh, uh, Rudy Gobert left the game, they were able to slide Anthony Davis over onto Kyle Anderson, a player they want to concede three-point shots to. That was only possible because Rui Hachimura was able to hold his own in that Carl Towns matchup. I talk a lot about the different types of forwards in the NBA. We have our wiry lanky athletic forwards and then we have our bigger stronger more power forwards Jared Vanderbilt's more in the middle to be honest because he's taller like a bigger forward and he does have good muscle mass but he does have a little bit of a higher center of gravity and he's not going to hold up against really really strong post players we even saw him struggle a little bit with Julius Randle in a matchup a little while back if you guys remember the only real lanky athlete that the Lakers have is a guy like Troy Brown Jr. who's a bit undersized right so that's kind of like their one position that they don't have you know your stereotypical type of uh, of athlete there. But Rui Hachimura, he struggled a little bit with some perimeter matchups this year, but he is big and strong, and he has a much lower center of gravity with much stronger legs than Jared Vanderbilt. That gives him the ability to hold up under more physical forwards in the NBA. So Rui Hachimura ends up actually being a really good matchup for a guy like Carl Towns in a way that you wouldn't expect, even though Jared Vanderbilt's a better defender overall, right? And then you saw the slotting start to take place from there. They actually went with Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura at the same time at one point. Now you've got Jared Vanderbilt being able to slot over onto Anthony Edwards. Why? because Anthony Davis can stay on Kyle Anderson, Rui Hachimura's on Carl Towns, and then you've got Jared Vanderbilt freed up for a perimeter assignment there. Then you're able to slide Dennis Schroeder over onto Mike Conley, who had been red hot in the whole game. The two big matchup problems that caused the Lakers issues in this game were Carl Towns, particularly in the first half, and then Mike Conley throughout the game with his shot making, just that ridiculous floater that he never misses, and his pull-up three that he's been hitting at a high clip since coming to the Minnesota Timberwolves. So you saw the matchups kind of start to slot into place, and then suddenly they couldn't score. And the other big thing with Rui Hachimura is when they were running Kyle Anderson ball screens with Carl Towns, they were able to just switch that. 
And and it, it, it the switching ability and it, there were a couple possessions where Rui actually switched on to car, uh, to Rudy Gobert and fronted the post and pushed him out of the lane. Like it just it was a stifling defensive effort triggered by outstanding point of attack defense from guys like Jared Vanderbilt and Dennis Schroeder. And then on the back line, the switchability of guys like Rui Hachimura and Anthony Davis. You even got like even LeBron. LeBron had a nightmare offensive game in this game, but he was engaged defensively. I talked a lot about how as soon as LeBron came back, they don't need MVP LeBron. They just don't. They have so much backcourt skill and Anthony Davis playing at such a high level, they don't need him to. They will need him to to beat like a team like Boston or Milwaukee. There's no doubt they're going to need superstar LeBron, but he's got plenty of time to get his rhythm back. Jaden McDaniels did a number on him yesterday. He still doesn't quite have the lift that he needs and doesn't quite have his rhythm and his shot and his handle dialed in right to be the dominant scorer in the, against those really, really good defensive teams, but he's got time, and we know he's capable of that. Just look at what he's done during other stretches of the season. But I, I thought, you know, again, don't let, don't get confused by the narrative. It was a weird sequence. Like, yeah, Anthony Davis fell down. Uh, Rudy Gobert said he could have dunked on him. Go watch the replay. That's absurd. First of all, Anthony Davis is laying on the ground in front of the basket. Technically, he's in his way. It's not like he can just step on him, right? So he doesn't have his steps right to be able to dunk. And Wenyan Gabriel's literally sitting in help. Like, if if Anthony Davis wasn't standing there, Wenyan's going to run over and jump with verticality. And Rudy Gobert's just not a very good finisher around the rim. That probably turns into a hook shot that he probably missed. Either way, the ball got worked around, and Mike Conley shot a wide-open three on that possession. One of their best shooters, who shoot really well that game, shot a wide-open three. He just missed it. Then they didn't get matched up in transition and left D'Angelo Russell open for a layup on a push-ahead pass from LeBron. And it wasn't just about the Anthony Davis injury. They were killing him with those push-ahead passes the entire game. Rui Hachimura got a backdoor lob dunk, or I should say in the second half. Rui Hachimura got a backdoor lob dunk from Austin Reeves in transition because nobody picked him up. That was after the AD injury, after the game had already returned to its normal flow. There was a play where Anthony Davis got a deep seal in transition with nobody around him against a smaller defender. He just happened to smoke a layup. But the Lakers were beating them in transition consistently as an issue there in that second half. I just don't buy that. And then Jaden McDaniels comes down the floor after the D'Angelo Russell layup, and AD is still writhing on the floor. And he's just dribbling like super careless with the basketball. And Wenyan Gabriel just comes up and picks him clean. Like, yeah, it was, it was, there's no doubt it was a weird sequence. And I also wouldn't be surprised if the weirdness of Anthony Davis writhing around in pain on the ground had some sort of brief mental disruption to the to the Timberwolves. But like I said, that's going to happen in a basketball game. You've got to find a way to regain control. There were still 18-plus minutes left in the game, and the reality was is you couldn't score. And the Lakers started to demonstrate that before the injury, and then they resoundingly demonstrated it down the stretch. And then Anthony Davis just took them home in the post, and it was crazy because just nonstop again like first it was against Gobert earlier in the fourth quarter and then Gobert comes off the floor and it's against Carl Towns and he's just surrounded by so much offensive skill with this new Laker lineup that they're leaving him on an island and he just took Carl Towns to school and what was crazy is it wasn't even jumpers like he hit a little fadeaway on the baseline but for the most part he was in the damn lane just hitting him with pivots and fakes and spins and hook shots and just making every single one of them. It was a clinic of post work against Carl Towns and a little bit against Gobert as well. He continues his tour of dominance with 38 points and 17 rebounds with two blocks and a steal. Lakers are 14-7 and since the deadline. 
despite LeBron missing most of that stretch. They also lost that Houston game with Anthony Davis resting, giving up 70-something paint points. We'll get to see if I was right about AD changing that matchup here on uh, on Sunday when the Lakers go to Houston. Then you had that heartbreak against Dallas. So they've had some a little bit of bad luck, and they're still 14-7 and since the deadline, which is the sixth-best record in the league during that span. They also have the very best defense, and they're the fourth-best rebounding team over that span. So best defense, fourth-best rebounding team, they're physically beating the hell out of teams. And that's mostly without LeBron. With LeBron is just a force multiplier in that regard. With what he can do, uh, uh, generating attention around the post, like defensively at this phase of his career, still a pretty good help defender. Like he's just going to exacerbate that problem for teams. And so, uh, and th- that sort of physical dominance is something that I always look at uh, for teams in a potential playoff run. Now they are 19th in offense over this span, but again, that's where LeBron getting back to his ceiling offensively at some point in the next couple of weeks will be the thing that can push them over the edge offensively as well. And here's the other thing too. One of the, uh, I always talk about how uh, in NBA history, you got to be a top 10 defense in order to have a real chance to win a championship. That's just, unless you have an otherworldly talent advantage, you got to be a top 10 defense. Here's what's crazy. The Lakers are now basically in a virtual tie for 10th place in defense for the entire season. So even that goal of getting into the top 10 is very much within reach if they put together even just one more good defensive night. Uh, they now have sole possession of the seven seed. Um, now Minnesota does have a tiebreaker over them, so they got to make sure that they stay one game ahead of Minnesota in the loss column. They are one game back of both Golden State and the Clippers, but they only have the tiebreaker against Golden State. They do not have the tiebreaker against the Clippers. Obviously, three-way ties, the tiebreaker gets way more convoluted, so everything's still up in the air, but they do control their own destiny, and they're heading into an easier stretch of their schedule. The uh, they play the Rockets and the Jazz next. Three of their last five games are against the uh, the Rockets and the Jazz. And then they've got a couple of tough matchups against the Clippers and the Suns. But the Lakers are in a good position to potentially end up um, uh, getting either that home court for the first round of the play-in tournament or to miss the play-in tournament entirely. They're in a, they're in a good spot right now. Good time to be a Lakers fan. All right, I want to talk a little bit about the Raptors-Sixers uh, game. Not so much about the game, but I want to focus on the Sixers. It, uh, the Sixers really blew them out in this game. They had 77 in the first half. The Raptors kind of grinded back and got it close. They got back to within two on a Fred Van Vliet pull-up three uh, in the middle of the fourth quarter. But then immediately the Sixers went on a run. Embiid got a bucket. P.J. Tucker hit a corner three. James Harden had a driving layup. Uh, James Harden was fantastic in this game, in his second game uh, returning from that Achilles soreness. We we talked a lot about um, you know Harden having like a revenge campaign this season. And he's had some injuries that have banged him up. Obviously, the foot injury earlier on and then the Achilles injury more recently. But really, for the most part this season, I think James Harden has had an excellent season, both as a scorer and a playmaker, doing exactly as much as this team needs him to do to have a chance to win a championship. Um, most importantly, Harden's legs looked explosive. He talked about how at one point he was in excruciating pain in that Achilles and and that was causing him problems, getting lift and, and pushing off. He looked spry in this game. And the big the big driving layup he had uh, that basically was the dagger against the Raptors at the end of this game, It was uh, he was against OG Ananobi, and Jakob Pertl was guarding Joel Embiid, and he kept calling for that Embiid ball screen. He's trying to get switched on to Pertl so he can get a switch, but they, uh, OG Ananobi was just doing a really nice job of fighting through the screen. And uh, Nick Nurse, as he always does, was like ridiculously over-aggressively doubling Embiid out of the high post. 
So Harden just pulled it out, and he's like, oh, shit, Like I guess I got to score an OG uh, Ananobi. And he hit him with a move and a counter move and got all the way to the rim and made a left-handed layup. And on that counter move, he was engaged physically with OG, and OG was playing very physical. And so for him to be able to shed OG like that and maintain his leg strength to get the necessary lift to get up to the rim, I think is a really good sign for him physically. Um, but I wanted to talk about the Sixers in their championship boxes, like because I always talk about these things that, that are like mandatory, right? And the uh, the Sixers, the more and more I look at them, above and beyond the things that we don't even really have a, a measurable way of, of accounting for, like, oh, James Harden's playoff performance or Joel Embiid's playoff performance or Doc Rivers' playoff performance, like, which, again, those it's not, I'm not saying they're not concerns, but it's just, it's really hard to quantify those things in the grand scheme of things. And, like, if they have figured it out, like, we're not, the only way we're going to find out is they're just going to go beat everybody in the playoffs, right? So it's hard to really plan for that, so to speak. It's just kind of a wild card that you have to account for. But if we set those aside, they check everything else. I always talk, you need to have elite rim protection. They do. Joel Embiid, especially in this last half of the season, his rim protection has been off the charts good. You need to have guys who can take high leverage perimeter assignments. De- uh, DeAnthony Melton can take higher level ball handler, like perimeter ball handler, like guard high pick and roll assignments. PJ Tucker can guard all of your big forwards that you're going to need to have guarded in the Eastern Conference. Even Tobias Harris, like having P.J. Tucker and Tobias Harris as options to throw at, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, for instance, that's 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 real weapon. That's a real weapon to have, especially with Joel Embiid on the back line. You can't just attack James Harden on a switch because of his ability to guard in the post, right? So they, they have a lot of, of matchup versatility defensively. I really like that. Um, they are the very best spot-up team in the league. So if you do what Nick Nurse did and you just double-team the shit out of Joel Embiid, yeah, he might have some turnovers and he had five turnovers in this game, but if he can make that first pass out and have James Harden make that second read, there's just so much skill on the backside of the floor. Like P.J. Tucker was hitting his corner three in this game, DeAnthony Melton driving closeouts and cutting off of extra passes and stuff. They just have so much skill off the ball that they're going to be able to score. And then they, most importantly, they have two elite shot creators, but it goes beyond what they do individually. Yes, James Harden and Joel Embiid, two superstars that gives you the ability to create shots, but it's because they can create shots in both specific defensive environments that I'm so optimistic. They can, if you're in a traditional drop coverage, they can pick you to part, uh, pick you to, uh, to pieces with pick and roll, just straight up James Harden with the ball Embiid sets the screen, rolls down to the free throw line, pocket pass, go to work help out of the weak side, you're kicking to shooters. They can play that way, but both of them can beat switches. So if it turns into a thing where all of a sudden you can't run drop coverage anymore or you're going up against a team like the Raptors that has all these forwards and they start switching, James Harden is beating some of the best perimeter defenders in the league to the basket still to these day, to this day. And Joel Embiid has been just an absolute monster in isolation all season long. And so they can they have a versatility of offensive approach, I think, that makes them extremely dangerous. So, I, I mean, again, I still have them comfortably third behind the Bucks and the Celtics in the conference. But I think as a group, they are right there with them. And I absolutely think they have a chance to come out of the conference. All right, so we got our preview of the 4-5 matchup between the Knicks and Cavs last night. Uh, It was interesting because both teams were really red hot in this game. Donovan Mitchell came out red hot in the first quarter. But then the Cavs cooled off, and Jalen Brunson just never cooled off. And it it started in the first half with like this clinic of just short-range little pump fake pull-up twos and pump fake floaters and pump fake hook shots in the lane. 
everything was defended extremely well. Like the Cavs defended, they lost him a couple times in the second half on peel off switches where like they were hedging onto Jalen Brunson and then the hedging defender would leave to go back to his man, but the original on ball defender wouldn't get back into the play and Jalen would end up wide open. There were a couple of defensive mistakes, but for the most part, the Cavs defended Jalen Brunson extremely well and he just made everything. And that goes back to what I've been talking about forever with the Knicks is if Jalen Brunson and and Julius Randle do that, which is a superstar type of behavior, the ability to knock down consistently tough shots against good defense, that raises their ceiling to a level that I don't think a lot of people expected from the Knicks. And by the way, this is not just a one-game sample size. Jalen Brunson is shooting 52% on floaters this year. There are six players that have taken 200 floaters. Trey Young, Josh Giddy, uh, John Morant, Tyus Jones, and Trey Jones, and Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson's 52% is best in the league. So he is the best volume floater shooter in the league by far right now. Um, he's also shooting 49% on short jumpers inside of 17 feet, which is obviously excellent. And then he's having a really good three-point shooting season too. 42% from three this year, about 38.5% or so on pull-up threes. So it's not fluky that he's shooting as well as he has. And it was all the short stuff early, but then there in the second half, it was the pull-up threes. And it seemed like every single time the Cavs started to make a run, Jalen Brunson was there to knock down a huge three to stem the tide. And again, it's it's going to look very different in a playoff series. I'll be really interested to see how the matchups work out because not only, I mean, the Cavs were missing Jared Allen and Isaac Okoro, obviously, and Lamar Stevens ended up drawing that uh, Jalen Brunson matchup to start. I like Lamar Stevens better on bigger forwards, and I like Isaac Okoro more on the quicker guards, so obviously that's a slightly better matchup, but you're not going to get any sympathy from the Knicks. They didn't have Julius Randle, and that changes matchups a lot, and like, I know the easy answer is like, oh, we're going to put Evan Mobley on Julius Randle, but in a physical playoff environment, I wonder if he might be a little too thin there. That's going to be an interesting matchup. I would love to see how Evan Mobley can hold up against Julius Randle because if he doesn't hold up on Julius Randle, they're going to have to go with someone like Lamar Stevens, and Lamar Stevens will have to guard Julius Randle, which will end up putting you know, uh, um, uh, Jalen Brunson in a position where you have to guard him with one of the guards, and that's just going to be barbecue chicken at that point. So I, it's going to be really interesting to see how the matchups shake out, and obviously it's going to look very different than it did in this particular game, but one thing was apparent from this game. Even with Lamar Stevens on the ball, Jalen Brunson looked very comfortable getting to his spots and getting to the shots that he likes to take. All right, lastly, before we get out of here, Russ versus the Grizzlies. So I had a a bunch of people in the comments asking, why didn't I talk about Russ in his 36-point game the other night? Um, The short version is, is the the, uh, Grizzlies sat everybody. Like, yeah, John Morant played. Yeah, Xavier Tillman played. John Morant's trying to get back in shape, right? Uh, uh, Dylan Brooks played. But they sat Desmond Bain. And most importantly, they sat Jaron Jackson Jr., who's been arguably the best rim protector in the NBA this year. And the thing with Jaron Jackson, we've talked about this. I think John Morant's a better player overall, and he represents the Grizzlies' ceiling. But I think Jaron Jackson's the most valuable player to the Grizzlies. He is the foundational piece to everything they do defensively. That's why the Grizzlies are better with him on the, like his on-off numbers are better than anybody else on the team. Jaron Jackson's vitally important. And so honestly, like it just wasn't a game to really learn anything because you were just basically watching uh, a shell of the Memphis Grizzlies go against the Clippers, right? That said, Russ did play really well, and we're going to talk about how well Russ has played with the Clippers. I just didn't think it was worth covering as a result of all those guys missing. And here's the thing. Jaron Jackson came back last night, 
And suddenly Russ went from going for 36 to scoring four points on two for eight shooting, you know, because now you had rim protection, real perimeter defense on the floor. It's just a whole other battle at that point. Um, But like, let's be clear. Russ has been excellent with the Clippers in the aggregate. He's done everything that they've needed him to do. That 36 the other night, that was kind of more just a vintage throwback moment. It was a cool moment. There was that awesome photo coming from the the rafters of him laying on the ground screaming. That was cool. He he was red hot from three, was getting to the rim. That was an awesome game just as a moment for a basketball fan to remember what it was like when Russ was at his peak. But that's not what's going to happen with the Clippers. That's not what they need from him, and and it's just not reliable, I mean, as you saw in what happened in the next game. What really is impressive to me about Russ with his time in the Clipper, with the Clippers is just doing everything he did for the Lakers in a system that makes more sense for him. Pushing the pace to generate easy shots before the team can set their half-court defense. Applying rim pressure. We've talked about this a million times, but it generates so many positive residual effects for your team when you've got a guy that's consistently pressuring the rim. Point of attack defense, which is something that he's actually been better at this year than he's been in recent seasons. I was uh, talking to some Clipper fans the other day who said they actually think he's their best guard defender right now, which is a significant asset to have on the team. And his efficiency has ticked up in large part because he's actually surrounded by shooting. It actually makes sense for him to play in a team with this style as opposed to what he did with the Lakers. For example, Russ shot 41.7% with the Lakers this year. He's shooting 48.2% with the Clippers. Here's how crazy the fit is from the standpoint of efficiency with the spacing that the Clippers provide. If he keeps this level of efficiency where he's at right now through the end of the season, which is a decent chance, this will be the first time in Russell Westbrook's entire career that he has notched for a single team in one season an effective field goal percentage above 50%. That's how much of a a natural fit this has been with the Clippers. He is more efficient now than he has ever been. That's significant. But, like, I I mean, I'm not going to cover the Clippers super closely simply because without Paul George, they have no ceiling. Without Paul George, they're just like any of those other teams in the play-in other than the Lakers who don't actually have the talent necessary to get the job done. The uh, Kawhi is a, a player that I believe in, but the Clippers, we've learned this season, their lack of rim protection and their lack of perimeter speed, they've got a lot of wings, but they don't have a lot of speed on the perimeter, has made them a little bit vulnerable to specific types of matchups, and they don't have the top-end star power to compensate for that without Paul George. Now, maybe Paul George comes back, and if he comes back in the first round of the playoffs and he looks like Paul George, we can reevaluate the Clippers at that point. But that knee injury looked pretty gnarly, and him getting reevaluated in three weeks doesn't bode well for him getting back onto the floor anytime soon. So, love Russ's fit with the Clippers. I think he should stay there into the future as well. I'm proud of Russ and happy for us that he's that he's found this spot that's working out well for him, but it doesn't change the calculus for the Clippers at all whatsoever. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. We will be back tomorrow night after the final buzzer of Warriors Nuggets. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I will see you then. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. 
Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts more Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.